El futuro tiene nada más que la confrontación. Welcome to Unpopular Opinion. I'm your host, Adam Todd Brown. I used to write a bunch of weekly columns for a bunch of internet places, and I would use those columns to put forth all sorts of crazy opinions. Then, I would come on this show to defend those opinions. But now, I kind of do the same thing, honestly. Joining me today, he is my co-host on an Unpops Network bonus podcast that you can hear every month called 69 Minutes. It's a live chat show. You can ask us questions. Subscribe if you want to do that. Ladies and gentlemen, Chet Wild. Also joining me, he is my co-host on the Unpops Music Podcast. We've done one about corn. We've done one about Limp Biscuit. All your favorite bands. He also hosts a couple podcasts of his own, like Look Good for the Boys and Cool School. You should check all of that out. Ladies and gentlemen, Andy Sell. It's going to be a great show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Unpopular Opinion. I am your host, Adam Todd Brown. Joining me as co-host... Ooh, my favorite co-host of all, no co-host. Jeff will be back next week, but I do have a room full of guests and also technically my co-host just on different podcasts, and I'm very territorial about this one. So joining me as guests today, Chet Wild and Andy Seller here. Yay! Woo! Ha. Oh, boy, <laughs> was I relieved to get the, the notes email and that Jeff wasn't CC'd on it. I'm like, we get to talk about war and no Jeff? Oh, what a Friday. Don't be that Monday, way. Whenever you're listening to this. I like how Chet always has an active rivalry going with someone on the network at any given time. Used to be Carrie. Now it's Jeff. I never had a thing with Carrie. That was all in Carrie's head. Oh, well, still. I mean, I, I, thought- I, ha- I have a rivalry against Chet, but... Yeah, but I muted you on Twitter, so I'm not aware yeah. of it. Oh, yeah. yeah that- then why do you always reply to my tweets? <laughs> Uh, I have to type in your name, go to at your username, and then go see tweets. Then why did you mute me? I'm not tagging you. I didn't didn't actually mute you, Andy. Oh, okay. (laughs) I took that. that Look, I didn't take that personally. I wasn't offended. I was just like, like, how are you saying you muted me when you just replied to one of my tweets? I I don't think I've muted anyone on the Unpops Network. I like that. I like that Andy was like, no, that you muted me makes sense. I just don't understand how you replied to my tweet. I get muted all the time. I never never question when people mute me. I I fully get it. I think I follow Andy enough that he semi-actively encourages people to mute or unfollow him. Yeah, I do. I really do. Because it's just less replies in my mentions is better for me. You could just hide your mentions like I do. That's that's what I do. I didn't know you could do that. Yeah, well, I use TweetDeck, (laughs) and then you can, like, Uh, see whatever you want to see. I don't even see my timeline. And it's at times like this, points like this in history, when I'm glad I'm not on Twitter and not looking at my timeline. boy. That gets us to the topic of today's show. Proof that no matter how much violence you bring, uh, there will be no winner in the field. And we're talking about the Chicago Bears, everybody. Chicago (laughs) Bears is the theme of the show. Wow. No matter how how gritty they get. 
I thought we were talking about the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the discourse that is inspired in horror Twitter. Oh, man. No, we're talking about something slightly less important than both of those things. <laughs> we are talking about the war in Ukraine or crisis in Ukraine. Can we call it war in Ukraine until if we're not there yet? Like, is what did it, the Chirons on Fox News say? Is it really a war if the United States isn't officially there? You know? I think that's the biggest distinction. If the U.S. isn't actively killing anyone directly involved, then it's not technically a war. Right. But we're getting there. It's just there. sparkling crisis. We're in that uncomfortable point in the process where it feels like people want us to go to war. Yeah, and it's... <sighs> It's people on a lot of different sides for a lot of different reasons, I feel like, which is whenever that's the situation, I'm always like, yeah, I don't think there's any clear like resource interest for the U.S. here. It's just a bunch of ideological stuff. So like they're probably not going to go right. There's also a new layer of social media um, where people are getting first hand real time accounts where they're just their feeds are being they're being exposed to a lot of violence and horrific imagery and because it's white people people are taking a greater interest in that apparently so uh the natural natural emotional response is well we got to stop this also there are resource interests i'm just like well, that's not that's not those, that's not the talking points anyone's using right now it's just not like oil or natural yeah. <laughs> resources. Like, we just have business interests that we obviously are going to want to maintain. How are we going to get Hunter Biden's laptop back? I don't know. Isn't that in Ukraine something? Listen to Conspiracy the Show. We did an episode about Hunter Biden's laptop. We should go through what's happening in Ukraine for people who aren't familiar with how this happened. I have, a, I have an alternate suggestion, Adam. Okay. Let's not learn anything about it whatsoever and just pop off with a bunch of opinions. Just rapid fire, hyperbolic nonsense without any kind of context. Yeah, that's, that's also not a bad idea. We should talk about how this happened Yeah. before we start talking about freedom dressing and vacuum bombs. I, <laughs> I, I do not know much about geography, so I did not know Ukraine is the second largest country in Europe by land mass only. Eighth largest, though, in population. So that's still not too shabby. Ukraine used to be part of the Soviet Union. They voted to go indie in 1991 after <laughs> scorpions knocked down the Berlin Wall. They abandoned their corporate contract and went indie. Yeah, yeah. Also, scorpions, I wish I could whistle because I would whistle that right now. Yeah, there it is. A-Wall a Nation just did a cover of it, and I dig it. That's winds of change, baby. Winds of change blowing all the time, all the time. <laughs> But especially in the late 80s, early 90s, when the Soviet Union collapsed, there are still a ton of Russians living in Ukraine is the whole thing. Very sizable population of ethnic Russians, more than 8 million, according to the most recently available census numbers, which are somehow from 2001. So it's been a while. <laughs> but there's a, a, a ton of people who identify as Russian living in Ukraine. It's the largest single Russian diaspora in the world. Everyone should know that. Yeah. Yeah. What is wrong with you? Pay attention. I didn't know they used to be the third largest holder of nuclear weapons in the world. 
That caught me off guard. They gave them all to the Russian Federation in 1994, though, as part of the Budapest Memorandum. I I don't think I needed to tell anyone that either. (laughs) That was an agreement signed by the U.S., the U.K., and Russia, where everyone agreed to honor Ukraine's sovereignty and territorial rights in return for them no longer being a nuclear power. A Budapest Memorandum sounds like the name of one of those, like, 70s thrillers, you know? Yeah. Like, like, like it sounds like Walter Matthau and Faye Dunaway are in it. Yeah. Yafet Koto plays an <laughs> arms dealer. The trailer's like, it started with 16 words on ordinary stationery. Yeah. And it ended in international tragedy. It's like the 25 memorandum. It's like 25 minutes too long because movies yeah. in the 70s didn't know you could just start quicker than that. Yeah. <laughs> no, here's 25 minutes of Dustin Hoffman going about his day. Thanks, Marathon well, Man. That was fun. I think every movie needs that. That really took a turn there. Let's get back on course. <laughs> Sorry. Well, the, <laughs> just fascinated the, with the title. To the uh, them having the third largest stockpile. Uh, I think my my I think my understanding my understanding and correct me if I'm wrong is so when the USSR broke up they had all these nuclear weapons but they didn't necessarily have the capability to activate them or launch them either. Yeah, but they, I mean they could have gone the other way and just been like, well, we're going to get that capability. Yeah. So. Instead, they went the other way and they gave all their weapons up and everything was fine after that until 2004. In that year's presidential election in Ukraine, America's preferred candidate, Viktor Yushchenko, was poisoned before the election, but somehow survived. That's the good news. Bad news, he lost the election to Russia's chosen candidate, Viktor Yanukovych. One thing you'll find researching this, every adult male with ties to both Russia and Ukraine is named Viktor with a K. <laughs> that is that is undeniable fact. So Viktor with a K, Viktor Yanukovych, he ends up winning this election. But people cry foul, claiming this election was rigged. They take to the streets in protest, all wearing orange, which was Viktor Yushchenko's campaign colors. They weren't just Broncos fans? <laughs> some of them. Some of them. <laughs> and it worked. They forced a revote, and Yushchenko won. They call this the Orange Revolution. So Russia didn't love that. They loved even less that in 2008, Ukraine starts pushing to join NATO because Russia has currently, I think, five NATO countries on their borders, and they just don't want another one, among other concerns. So that forms a rift. In 2010, the guy who got ousted in the Orange Revolution, Viktor Yanukovych, he runs for president again and wins, which I think should tell people something about the makeup of Ukraine, because it's not like there is a handful of separatists who have sympathies toward Russia. It's a significant part of their population. And just because Apparently a lot of swing votes. Well, yeah. and just because they're not all in the streets trying to overthrow the government violently, that doesn't mean this is a fringe group that feels like Ukraine should side more with Russia than with the West. They're just a minority group. They're not the majority. But there's a lot of people. And it's enough that, yeah, they they could win an election in 2010 for the guy that a revolution ousted six years earlier. Mm-hmm. It says, too, that Yanukovych won on a campaign of promising to move toward a strengthened relationship with the, with the EU. Right. Which is, 
there's a lot of that going on in the nuances here <laughs> of like, you know, people that are nationalists that want Ukraine to be its own nation independent from everyone else and kind of like isolationist. And then these people that want like a more established uh, space in the European conversation as a whole. That's probably part of what helped him win that election, because yeah. that's him saying, yeah, I used to be mostly pro-Russia, but now I'm pro-EU. But then shenanigans. Almost as soon as he won, he pivots and starts moving Ukraine more toward a relationship with Russia. Oh, man. A politician not delivering on his campaign promise? I've never fucking heard of this. I know we don't have any precedent for how the United States reacts when a leader of our choosing <laughs> takes a turn toward our enemy. But uh, it didn't go well in Ukraine. Well, here's the thing. We didn't like that it happened. So it was a good thing that a completely organic, not CIA or Obama and Biden involved at all uprising happens in Ukraine shortly after Yanukovych takes this turn. And I'm I'm being sarcastic there. If you look into it, we, <laughs> Aww, what? we obviously had a role. Like we I, I feel like we have a tiny role in like every coup that happens everywhere. Yeah. Like a dinner roll. Yeah. Even if I, just smaller. that. I remember when this happened being like caught up in the in 2014 in the like oh man a people's revolution a populist organic movement that just like swell it's like you know it's like chile or something like i was just excited and then it's like i should have at the time noticed like oh all of the corporate media outlets are in favor of this that should probably tell me that this isn't as organic populist or cool as i'm thinking it is here's the thing that doesn't come up a lot when people talk about these protests that happened in Ukraine in 2013 and 2014, uh, they're called the Euromaiden protest, which is just a fucking awesome name. Like, great name. <laughs> it sounds like the members of Europe and the members of Iron Maiden yeah. formed a super group, and I would fucking go to that concert. Yeah. Yeah. It's called the Maiden part just refers to, I think, a park in Ukraine where a lot of the protests were centered around. And Euro... No one knows what Euro means. So Euro Ma. <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, man. War. <laughs> Funny. So one thing people don't talk about a lot when it comes to the Euro Maiden protests is an incident referred to as the Odessa fire. What happened <laughs> is. It's the sequel to the Budapest memorandum. Exactly. Yeah. This is the sequel to that first movie in the franchise starring fucking Jim from The Office. <laughs> <laughs> What happened during these protests, at one point, this group of, they call them Russian separatists. That's how they address the people who are on the side of Russia in this conflict. There were a group of Russian separatist protesters who were protesting the outcome of the Euromaiden protest because their guy, they felt like, had been elected democratically and then was basically overthrown in a coup. So now they're out counter-protesting. And at one point, this group of protesters is met by a group of pro-maiden counter-protesters. The pro-maiden counter-protesters are the group that sides with the current Ukrainian government. So essentially the side we side with. They confront this group of Russian separatist 
protesters and end up burning down their encampment, for starters. This forces these Russian protesters to flee, and they take refuge in a landmark called the Trade Union's House. These Russian protesters hole up there, and someone set the building on fire. Of course, the Ukrainian government claims these protesters hid in this building and then set it on fire themselves. I Look, I do that all the time when I'm scared. I, I just set fires. I can't help yeah. it. Yeah, we have nowhere else to totally hide. Normal. We better s- burn this place down. Like it, Why Andy yeah. had to leave L.A.? It, it seems like a weird yeah. strategy. <laughs> what? <laughs> Nobody would rent to me anymore because I kept burning my apartments down. Yeah, and we're in fire season. In Minnesota, at least, you know, it'll be contained. And Russia, their claim, obviously, is that the Ukrainian protesters started the fire that burned this building down. But either way, something like 40 <laughs> protesters were trapped inside and died. And uh, Sorry, I hate that I'm laughing during that. I just I want to know what Billy Joel has to say about who started this fire. Oh, sure, uh, and sure. And then you got to the part where dozens of people died, and I immediately was like, well, oh, yeah. I'm being insensitive right now. Yeah, you were already chuckling by the time, like you were anticipating that part. Clearly, yeah. the fire was started by an uptown girl. Oh, uh, right? Yeah. Living in her white bread world. Mm-hmm. Glass Houses. It's my favorite Billy Joel album, because I have good taste in music. So, either way, <laughs> a-, a bunch of protesters died in a fucking fire during the Euro Maiden protests. And, like, you're going to have some gripes. Like, if you're one of the pro-Russian types living in Ukraine and that happens, how would you view that? People just need to understand there's two sides to this. And there are a bunch of people in the middle of this. Yeah, there's more than two sides. There are multiple sides going on here that all have different things going. I mean, there are separatists, like, everywhere, you know? There are separatists in Spain. There are separatists in the U.S., there's groups everywhere that want to separate from what is and have their own, you know, nation or, or sovereignty. It, this is all over. But in this region in particular, right, it's like Russia, like Eastern Europe, the Balkan area, like that whole like swath of Europe is just like there's a lot of this going on. There's a lot of border disputes and and national identity issues. It's not just like, oh, well, one went in there. Like, there are Russians live. Like, we're finding out here there are Russians living in Ukraine who are like, well, what about our identity? You know? Yeah. And there are Russians living in Russia who are like, man, this war is bad. We shouldn't do this. Oh, that was a story I was reading this morning about how many Russians are, like, trying to flee Russia and just not the future's grim and they don't stand for the war. And Already more Russian politicians and legislators have left office in protest over this invasion than any American politicians during Iraq or Afghanistan. Like, no, no, I don't think any U.S. politicians resigned being like, yeah, fuck this invasion that we're doing. But, like, Russian politicians in droves are like, this is wrong, this is immoral, like... There are people protesting in the streets. And it also, just because there are people living in Ukraine whose sympathies lie more with Russia than with the United States, it doesn't mean those are all bad people. Those are just people with conflicting ideologies. And man, when you get on the world stage and you start talking about the difference between the United States and Russia in terms of how we treat the world, how we treat other countries, you can't fault people for not wanting to side with the United States. 
Like, yeah. I get Putin's a monster and Putin's evil. And yeah, he's bad. Yeah. Most politicians and elected officials yeah. are bad. Yeah. I keep seeing people sharing that video of the Ukrainian uh, ambassador that's saying, like, this is a war crime. This is a war crime. Putin's a war criminal. And it's like, yeah, absolutely. Also, though, most American presidents have been war criminals, technically. Yeah. So just, you know how I know that? I follow Andy on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> the point of this episode isn't to say, oh, well, what Russia is doing in Ukraine is good and everything <laughs> the United States is doing is bad. The point is you have to understand it's neither of those things. What Russia is doing is bad, but they're doing it on behalf of people whose feelings toward the situation aren't necessarily driven by bad things. They're not all Vladimir Putin. Some people just don't trust the West that much. Anyway, well, as, <laughs> as we see in the, you know, the regions of Ukraine that have broken away, like because of the Russians living there. Yeah. The result of the Euromaiden protests. Yes. Viktor Yanukovych was ousted from office, but also Russians living in Ukraine reacted poorly to that happening. <laughs> and by that, I mean two areas, Donetsk and Luhansk, both were just like, hey, we're independent states now. We're not even part of Ukraine anymore. And the Ukrainian government was like, all right, yes, you are. And uh, they were like, no, we're not. And that's just kind of how it stood for years after these protests. Donetsk, by the way, is the area in Ukraine where the most Russians live. I think it's like 1.8 million people in that area uh, identify as ethnic Russian. So that sort of kicks off the conflict that eventually starts. After Putin annexed Crimea, we should add that, he did that in response yeah. to the Euromaiden protests also. So that sort of becomes a flashpoint where most of the world rejects what Putin has done in Crimea and in Ukraine, and it's all building up toward what has now happened. Putin wanted assurances from the United States that we wouldn't let Ukraine join NATO. And we refused to give him those assurances. And he used that as justification to send troops into these two regions that had declared themselves autonomous from Ukraine. He officially recognized them as independent states and sent troops in ostensibly to protect them from the Ukrainians around them. And then the invasion carried on from there. So that's the long version of how we got here. I would say it's the short version probably not here yeah probably well yeah because it even probably you know you again we're talking about a part of the world where it's like a lot of this history goes back like hundreds hundreds of years it goes way back and you really have to take into account how much world war ii impacted ukraine what you essentially have is a country where a whole bunch of people fought on the side of the nazis and then there's this whole other group where a bunch of their people were killed by Nazis. And there's this tension within the country where one part is like, hey, Nazis suck. And the other part's like, yeah, but we, you know, they kept us free from, you know, being overtaken for a while. So it's very complex. And that's the element to this that people don't seem to want to talk about, especially yeah. in American media. When it does come up, it's done very dismissively. And that's neo-Nazis in Ukraine. That is Putin's argument. Well, I'm doing this to fight neo-Nazis in Ukraine. Yeah. 
our argument, the United States argument is, well, there are no Nazis in Ukraine. And when it comes to who's lying and who's telling the truth, nobody, everybody's lying and everyone's telling the truth. There are neo-Nazis in Ukraine, but I don't think that's why Putin is doing this. I don't think that's why he's doing it either, but he's playing it up. There's like been some like attacks that are suspicious, right? There's like some vandalism. It's sort of like when those guys like spray paint Black's rule on their own garage to be like, look, I got attacked by Antifa or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like there's been some of that going on where it's like, oh, these are Russian false flag operations, possibly. But I mean, that's not why he's doing it, obviously. Like he's Russian state media is 100 percent over exaggerating the presence. But it's also oh, a presence. Oh, you mean like Trump with people at our southern border coming into the country being problems? No. Yeah. I would argue it's not quite the same thing because in that case, there really aren't. Yeah, true. <laughs> there, there is not a huge subset of those people that are actually a problem. In this case, also those people is... are not. Those people are not armed if they exist. Correct. These people, they exist and they are armed. But on the flip side of that, on on the flip side of yes, Putin is talking this up a little bit and exaggerating it for his own means. The idea that there are neo-Nazis in Ukraine doesn't just come from nowhere. And you'll read a lot of articles that dismiss this as Russian propaganda. And that's propaganda. Yeah. Dismissing the idea that there are neo-Nazis in Ukraine as propaganda is propaganda. And all you got to do is Google LASD sheriff's gangs. But then after that, (laughs) 40% of police officers, but then after that... And after that, then Google Azov Battalion. Yeah. Which is a... Like, decide for yourself, but they're a fucking neo-Nazi militia. They wear Nazi shit. They espouse Nazi ideas. They are Nazis. Yeah. And here's the thing. Andy mentioned it earlier. There's neo-Nazis all over the place. Damn near every country has some version of neo-Nazis operating within their borders. The difference here is the Ukrainian government absorbed this neo-Nazi battalion into their own National Guard. So think about it thusly. What if Joe Biden tomorrow was like the Oath Keepers? They're official military now. They're fighting on our side. We recognize them as an official part of the military. Yeah. I don't care if people don't like to hear it, but that's what Ukraine did. It's important to point out, too, it was under different leadership at the time. It's not the current president that did that. It's not to say that he wouldn't. I don't know. Well, but well, the reason that that is an important distinction is the United States. The argument you'll hear is there's no Nazis in Ukraine. Their president is Jewish. And it's like they absorbed the Azov battalion into their military in 2014. Zelensky was elected in 2019. So until he decides they are no longer part of the military, him being Jewish has nothing to do with the fact that there are neo-Nazis in the Ukrainian military. Here's the other thing. Sanctioned addition, neo-Nazis, I think, yeah, is the Jor- important distinction. Jordan Peterson recently tweeted there are no Nazis or white supremacists in Canada. And less than, <laughs> 24, and less than 24 hours later, he was on a live stream podcast with a notable Canadian Nazi white supremacist. Yeah, he was just trying to find them. <laughs> he just wanted to hang out. Yeah. He wanted someone to ch- trade screwdriver tapes honey with. Pot. He's uh, a piece of shit. 
But yes. <laughs> in addition, in addition to this, the in addition to the Azov Battalion, there's also this group called Right Sector, which is uh, basically like a, a coalition of far right extremist groups in Ukraine, and it's almost like if the Unite the Right rallies had, in America had led to like an actual cogent organization being formed. That's what Right Right Sector is, and. It's they're made up of lots of different right wing groups, and a lot of them started out as like explicitly neo Nazi gangs and like soccer hooligans, but they've become like a political force. And a lot of this, oh, he can't be harboring Nazis because he's Jewish, but it's also like, but there are members of right sector, like right sector as a group distances itself from anti Semitism. That doesn't mean it's still not far right. It's ultra nationalist, it's ultra Christian. They've attacked uh, Romani, they've attacked LGBTQ people. They are, you know, anti-abortion. They're like super right wing, but they're just like, well, we're not anti-Semites. They're still fascists. Right. And there are members of organizations under that umbrella that are explicitly anti-Semitic as well. They just aren't the ones, you know, getting all the press. But like, you know, Azov Battalion being integrated into the Ukrainian National Guard. Also, uh, their founder, Beletsky, was a member of parliament in Ukraine up until 2019 when Zelensky took office. But there's also like the guy from Right Sector, the founder of Right Sector, uh, Dmitro Yerosh. He was an advisor to the armed forces in Ukraine. And when he stepped down, when he, when he distanced himself from Right Sector, his whole thing was like, we don't need Right Sector anymore because I'm in the government. Yeah. Like, that was his whole thing. It's like, we don't need the Nazi groups because I'm in. We've achieved the goal. And it's like, whether or not Zelensky is your president, like, I, yeah, okay. It's like if Bernie Sanders appointed David Duke to be Secretary of Defense or something. It's still... The idea that Zelensky is Jewish and liberal and progressive and all of this, it's like, yeah, it doesn't mean he's not working with fascists. And also, there's all this talk about the Russian oligarchs. You know who Azov is founded by? Oligarchs. Yeah. Billionaires. Yeah. They have billionaires funding them. This is former U.S. ambassador to Russia, Michael McFall. He went on MSNBC's Morning Joe, which is apparently still on. <sighs> and when he was asked about Russia's claims of neo-Nazis in Ukraine, he said this. He's talking about denazification. There are no Nazis in Ukraine. The leader of Ukraine is not a Nazi. He's a democratically elected leader. He's Jewish. He is not a Nazi. I'm sorry. I'm so emotional. And it's like, I'm sorry you're so emotional, too, but you're not telling the truth. Yeah. You can just Google it and read articles about the Nazis in Ukraine. But there are so many people who just form their opinions about these things based on this. Like, this is like... Morning Joe's fucking insufferable. It's like insufferable. And you got to understand, when you get a government official on the National Broadcasting Corporation... Or yeah. the American Broadcasting Corporation? That is state television telling you there's no Nazis in Ukraine. And a lot of people are just going to go, yeah, well, the guy said on Morning Joe there's no Nazis in Ukraine. And I read this article that said that's Russian propaganda. So here we are. The media and social media are both kind of terrible platforms for nuance. Yeah, they sure are. Like, I don't know. I don't see any evidence of that. <laughs> I think you you're say, being um, ridiculous. In terms of places to read, like, what are your go-to most reputable uh, publishers, Adam, for this 
for specifically around like war stuff. What do you say, Guardian? Overseas publications are always good. If you can find one that doesn't have a stake in the United States and how things in the United States go, which all of them do to some extent. But like, yeah, yeah. The Guardian is pretty decent. The Economist is pretty good uh, in terms of overseas or foreign publications. In the U.S., like The Intercept I know inter like, intercept. someone from the Intercept got like canceled or something. So oh now well, that's Green Greenwald. We're not and supposed he's... to read anything on the Intercept ever again. It's like, Green, yeah, that's Green... not a government op. <laughs> Greenwald's not even part of the Intercept anymore. Yeah. Like, and yeah, no, that guy's a right wing nutbag too. Yeah, and we'll link to some of them. Jacobin, uh, I think is is that how you pronounce yeah. that shit? Uh, Jacobin, yeah, Jacob, Jacobin, I think. Yeah, but... they do. So one of the articles we'll link to in the show notes is an article of theirs called "Is the CIA Breeding Nazi Terror in Ukraine?" And no, of course not. See, that's the thing. That's the other thing. On the one hand, you kind of hope this is what would happen in this country if we were actually facing the threat of an invasion, you would kind of hope that at least temporarily we would all band together. Antifa, uh, the right wingers, we would all just be like, all right, we need to put down this common enemy clearly. And then we can get back to fighting our individual fights. Whether that would happen here in the, this country, I don't know. And I don't want to speculate on it. But if you're taking that view of things where you're like, well, of course, Ukraine is going to accept help from these Nazis if the alternative is being taken over by Russia. Sure. Fine. I accept that. But here's the problem. Here's what we don't ever take into account. We are arming that resistance in Ukraine, just like we armed the resistance in Afghanistan when they were fighting against Russia. Oh, the, we did the same thing in Iraq, too, yeah. right? And how did that all turn out? It ended in civil war. And that is what we are facing here. Like, there's a great chance Russia's going to lose and end mm -hmm. up getting put down in Ukraine. And once that happens, so then... I like your optimism. Well, whether that's the case or not, let, like, let's be optimistic and just say Ukraine manages to put this down with the help of a bunch of fucking neo-Nazis. Are those neo-Nazis going to go back to being fringe neo-Nazis who are rejected by society? Like we're Probably supposed... Not. Like, I got a bunch of guns now. Well, that's the thing. Like, we're supposed to believe that, oh, no, well, they're just fringe neo-Nazis and the government absorbed them to fight Russia. And then they'll put the Russia invasion down and then everything will go back to normal and Nazis will go back to being bad in Ukraine. Bullshit. No, that's that's not a recipe for a far right coup at yeah, all. That is going it's to end with the Nazis being like, well, we helped you beat Russia, you have to give us a bigger representation in this government. And if the Jewish president of Ukraine says, no, I don't, that's going to be a problem. Mm -hmm. They are going to use those guns and weapons that we gave them to overthrow their own government. And then we have a Nazi government in Ukraine. Are we applauding yeah. that? And try being a, a, a former president having to go back to work the road as a comic, getting work in a Nazi country. Yeah, he's not going to get booked anywhere. <laughs> he's going to have to come up with a stage name. He's going to have to. He's going to hit the, the Crimea is going to be the new Catskills. <laughs> That's where he's going to have to go. The, the Borscht Belt is going to be. It's look, he's. This, it's so fucked up. There's like a lot of like Spanish Civil War kind of shit going on here. And there's people coming from other countries to join in the fight against the Russian invasion. Like I saw an article today that somebody posted that 
had a Canadian Ukrainian who was going to Ukraine to fight, and he was wearing a hat that had a Trident logo on it, which is one of the components of the right sector, one of the more explicitly fascist components of right sector. And he's wearing this hat, and it's like a photo in this article that's like supposed to be like a heartwarming, like, hey, this dude's going to fight Russians. And it's like, yeah, he's wearing a fucking Nazi insignia right now. Well, if people at home want to actually do their own research and look into a pretty fascinating tie between Ukraine and the Nazis, Google Canadian Nazi monuments. There are... Just did. Statue of Jordan Peterson. Odd. <laughs> there are a ton. And when I say a ton, I mean there's more than a dozen, I think. I think there might be close to 100. But there are all of these monuments in Canada that were put up by Ukrainian populations living in Canada and they are meant to honor Ukrainians who fought alongside the Nazis. And when we were taking down Confederate statues, that's what people were mad about in Canada. People were like, well, OK, well, what about what about all the Ukrainian Nazi monuments that are in cemeteries and shit? Can we take those down? And in a lot of cases, no, like they're still they're still there. Hey, according to The Guardian on July 17th, 2020, C Canadian police were investigating vandalism of a monument to Nazi soldiers in a small Canadian city. Yeah. <laughs> in the Ukrainian cemetery. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. It, it's I a thing. I searched for that on incognito mode. And just keep stuff like that in mind when you see the former ambassador to Ukraine crying on MSNBC about how there's no Nazis in Ukraine. He's lying. Mm -hmm. They're lying. Like it's yeah. it's a thing and the again I get well yeah you got to take the help from the Nazis to fight Russia. <laughs> big picture. Like you so got you got to look at the big picture and in, how that's going to end. This is a slippery slope for media uh for for me, when it comes to media, and perhaps that's not the best example of that guy. Like, you're right, he's lying. And you have to be cautious of the ways in which you are able to be subtle, because if he's like, yeah, there are Nazis, but then various people in their own propaganda are going to be like, see, he said there's Nazis, well, see, he's right. <laughs> And it gets taken out of context. That's it's just the, yeah, so fucking tough. That's the problem. Nobody hears what you say after the first thing. And it's, it's, again, it's just, it's a fucking place in a group and groups of people where there's a lot of complexities involved. And it, they're right now, they're a nation being invaded by another nation. And they're a nation whose national identity has kind of been up in the air and a little nebulous uh, for the last few years. It's another reason why I think nationalism is just fucking stupid to begin with. But of course they're going to throw in with groups who are like all about having a strong national identity, however abstract the terms they use might be. Like it's going to be appealing like, oh, we're going to repel this foreign invader. OK, but then once that's done, it's like, OK, well, now we're, we're here and we've thrown in with this group that wants a nation state, which is already a red flag. Like anytime a group starts talking about like, oh, nation state. No, that's they they get really into like a singular ethnic identity very quickly uh, from the from the term nation state. So, uh, yeah, you're going to have this powerful right-wing fringe in charge and everybody just kind of already went along with them and that's how you get like the second largest country in europe as a nazi power possibly 
But I also don't want to say, like, you know, obviously Putin should not be fucking doing this. Do you and that's ballpark insight into, like, what percentage of the kind of Ukrainian forces are are that? <clears throat> like, is it, like, 2%? Is it, like, a third? They, they don't know. And I think Zelensky himself or someone in his cabinet has admitted that, like, there's really no way to know. It's, it's kind of like our military. Like, yeah. we don't have any way of knowing. Yeah, we don't know how many people in the Marines are three percenters. Yeah. Hey, you're not going to believe this, but the reporting around the war in Ukraine has somehow taken a little bit of a racist turn. And I I'm, say somehow because it is essentially white people fighting white people. So you would wonder, well, how is this turning racist? Well, because it's white people fighting white people. So you have media personalities openly admitting, well, we care more because they look like us. Like, well, it's like people. They're like people. Yeah, these are real people from a real country. They have cars and computers and Instagram accounts. Someone actually said that. Someone was like, these, people, these are people with Instagram accounts. It's like, motherfucker, they have Instagram in Syria, probably. <laughs> if not, you can probably get on it with a VPN. I don't fucking know. But the, we'll link to an article from The Guardian. We were just talking about The Guardian, where they cite a bunch of examples of how the reporting on this is going. Here's a quote from CBS News senior foreign correspondent Charlie Diagata. Ukraine isn't a place, with all due respect, like Iraq or Afghanistan, that has seen conflict raging for decades. This is a relatively civilized, relatively European, I have to choose these words carefully too, city. One where you wouldn't expect that or hope that it's going to happen. That is CBS News senior foreign correspondent Charlie Diagata choosing his words carefully. Yeah, that's the Columbia like, broadcasting station. That's the <laughs> Columbia uh, propaganda arm there. By the time he says, I have to choose those words carefully, he's already not chosen his words carefully. So many words were not chosen carefully leading up to that point. Uh, yeah, it's uh, do you, Adam, do you mean to tell me that the corporate owned media who have a vested interest in conflict abroad are not using this occasion to reflect on maybe where they've erred in representing it in the past. They're just going full steam ahead and just, I don't know, tweeting through it, essentially. Can you believe it? My favorite part... I, can't, I refuse to believe it. My favorite part about his statement is that the only way he sort of brings it back around to being respectable is that he's really shitting on everyone. Because yeah. if you're a Ukrainian and you read that, you're going to be like, what the fuck do you mean relatively civilized? What is that supposed to mean? And I would ask the same question. What the fuck does relatively civilized mean? Yeah. Do you mean they're not completely civilized because they have neo-Nazis in their military? They're, no, he means they're almost civilized, but they don't speak English, so they can't be completely uh, civil. Like they don't speak one of yeah. the romantic languages or English, so it can't be completely civilized. That makes sense. In terms of white people only, not quite civilized, but on the broader spectrum of a global audience, relatively civilized that's sure that's that's the that's the flavor of racism 
going for. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like, no one who has a Bond villain accent can ever be considered completely civilized by a member of the media. Right, right, right. Here's another example. This is uh, the BBC interviewed a former deputy prosecutor general of Ukraine who said this. This one. It's very emotional for me because I see European people with blue eyes and blonde hair being killed every day. And then he said, Sieg Heil, Sieg Heil, and they cut the commercial. I think, I think we found the guy who we need to ask how many uh, Nazis are in the Ukrainian military. I think this is the guy that knows. Yeah, he, he probably has a handle on it. This is journalist Felipe Corbe on France's BFM TV, which means big fucking media, probably. <laughs> Here's a quote. We're not talking here about Syrians fleeing the bombing of the Syrian regime backed by Putin. We're talking about Europeans leaving in cars that look like ours to save their lives. People, where is your humanity? They drive the same cars we drive. How is your heart not bleeding? That you, guy is you a know Ford what? Focus. He's I'm gonna, just like me. I'm going to tell you, I've been watching some of this footage and I have not yet seen a single purple Mazda 7 fleeing <laughs> Ukraine. So until I see one of those, they're still all just, you know, barbarians to me. Yeah. I saw a white Chevy Impala, but I, I also think it was like a Russian false flag thing. Like, I yeah. think it was actually a Russian vehicle that they were trying to make it look like it was Ukrainian. Have we spotted any of the ISIS Toyotas yet in this footage? <laughs> One of the all-time best war stories of all time. <laughs> Fucking Joe's plumbing in Iowa sees his truck in the middle of Afghanistan. Well, I guess I'm in ISIS now. <laughs> that they guy's appreciate in reliability. Texas. That guy's in Guantanamo now. Well, was that Texas story where the congressman <laughs> had to uh, withdraw from running because he was caught having an affair with an ISIS mistress. <laughs> yeah. That'll do it. Van Taylor. Uh, Van Taylor drops re-election bid after ISIS bride affair allegations. My God. Imagine having an ISIS bride and also being like, I'm going to run for office. This feels like the <laughs> right time. Furious ex-husband blames predatory, predatory Texas congressman for affair that wrecked his marriage. Yeesh. Good old Texas. Here's another quote from the media. This is an ITV journalist from Poland. Now the unthinkable has happened to them. And this is not a developing third world nation. This is Europe. Yeah, Europe, a continent who's famously <laughs> never been at war. <laughs> the fuck is he talking about? I mean, anytime you're saying first world, third world, there's automatically huge classism and racism baked in. We've had two wars called world wars that were exclusively almost fought. Well, one of them exclusively fought in Europe and Northern Africa. Before we found our true path destroying the Middle East, like the biggest war I remember in my lifetime happened in Europe. That was the, the war in Bosnia. Yeah. Like that. Yugoslavia? Yeah, that was very uh, yeah. recent. That was just a final Jeopardy question. The siege of Sarajevo, it lasted like three fucking years. That was definitively in Europe. Mm -hmm. But that was the 90s. Yeah, we, yeah don't, I, we don't think about the 90s. Look, we, yeah. we like to forget three things. We'd like to forget slap bracelets. Uh, we'd like to forget... Uh, low, low rise jeans. And we'd like to forget Sarajevo. Yeah. yeah. We shelled Sarajevo for multiple years. Everything was extreme in the nineties, 
big deal. <laughs> the bombs were also probably very sour if you tasted them. Snack food commercials and war were both extreme in the 90s. The bombs were wearing hats turned to the side like Dan Cortez. <laughs> so you're also seeing Yikes. this... Uh, unfortunate racism reflected in and i saw man i saw this coming a million miles away the way people are responding to the idea of taking in ukrainian refugees and here's the thing not for one second am i saying don't take in ukrainian refugees i'm saying take in all fucking refugees and don't be racist about it because that's what's happening here example chancellor carl niehammer of austria he said, of course we will take in refugees if necessary. And that was when he was asked about Ukraine. Meanwhile, last fall, in his role as interior minister, he was vehemently opposed to taking in refugees fleeing the Taliban. And when someone asked about the difference, he said, it's different in Ukraine than in countries like Afghanistan. We're talking about neighborhood help. Yeah, I don't know if he meant to put quite the bow on it that he did by <laughs> sa by using the word neighborhood there, but um, there it is, right there, wrapped up like a present for you. God, if only there was a way to tell if this was a clear case of discriminatory standards. Hey, like, if it gives you guys any hope, right on the homepage of CNN right now is an article titled, How the Ukraine War Exposed Western Media Bias. That is? And I clicked it, and then it's just an arrow of CNN pointing at itself. <laughs> Yeah, just a CNN logo mirrored. What? <laughs> it's just Wolf Blitzer shrugging. But also good for them. Like, if I haven't read the article, but if, if the headline lives up to the promise, fucking good for them. Yeah. Because that's true. Now let me go to foxnews.com. <laughs> uh, let's see. How the U.S. was able to provide aid to Ukraine at lightning speed. Okay, that's that's much more on brand with the propaganda of let's paint U.S. But I thought soldier. Fox was like... Yeah, I thought... Weren't they pro-Putin? They've taken a, a shift, uh, a hard left, unless you... Did they cut Tucker loose? What's going on? I was watching Fox News last night. Who's the blonde lady with the late night news show? <clears throat> I'm sorry, which one? All of There's them. There's like yeah. nine of them. Yeah. Whoever does the, the like, nine o'clock hour, she's, she was talking, oh, she's like, back when you and I were college, it was the left's that were pro-Russian. And uh, it's funny how tables have turned. And it's like, did you just call yourself pro-Russian? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Fox News. Uh, You're the best. I can't. This whole thing about like the Ukrainian refugees and the way that the war is being represented, it points to this this interesting... Because the thing is, is that Ukrainians also have like endured a whole lot of ethnic erasure and racism from russia like it, it's it's more of like a nationalism thing but but there is like ethnic erasure in the eyes of a lot of like especially russian state media but like you know this idea that there's no such thing as russia as, as ukrainians is an is a thing that's like propagated a lot there's this like a attitude of like well they're not really ukrainians they're just russians who don't want to be called that and it's like no they're a, they're their own thing yeah. And it's it's being mined on both sides for 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 this bullshit conflict. But now we're seeing it reflected in like this this need for Western media to relate to them. Yeah. It's it's just it's a whole I don't know what my point is here. <laughs> uh, but in 2000, in 2014, somewhere around there, when like when Crimea was annexed, I believe. I was in a car. I was taking an Uber or a Lyft to, I think, Flappers of all places. I'm sorry. It, 
And the the driver. Well, I need to go double down on my antidepressants. <laughs> I need to go apply for the Burbank Comedy Festival. Uh, I, yeah, yeah. Putin is, I think, performing at the Burbank Comedy Festival. Do you make, that, do you make that much money, Adam? <laughs> exactly. The, the Burbank Comedy Festival. The Burbank Comedy Festival is being sponsored by Russian oligarchs, so they've actually lowered their registration fee. Um, <laughs> but but Azov Battalion is doing a podcast recording. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but this this guy, the guy r- driving the lift, was this Russian guy. We were talking about Crimea, and he was like, and I was like, yeah, but you know, the like, Ukrainian people, it's like their national place right and he was like no it's it's the vacation spot for russia and we want it it's ours and i was just like i don't know if i want to have this conversation with you and then he kept going on and he was like yeah there's no such thing as ukrainians they just call themselves that and it was like okay can i get out now we're we're almost there yeah i'll just i'll just open the door and jump out and that's that's an example of obviously everything russia's doing in ukraine is not great because what andy's referencing is a thing Putin said in a speech last year, and that is part of what stoked all this. Once he said that, basically, that there is no Ukraine, we're just all Russians. People in Ukraine were like, what? What do you mean? What's that mean? Are you you, you coming to take us? So, yeah, like, and that is a lot of what's driving what Russia is doing. It is a lot of, they just want to fucking take Ukraine. The problem is we're giving them reasons to act in a lot of cases. And it's not, I don't say that to justify what they're doing. I'm saying it because they're using it to justify what they're doing. So it's just, yeah, we're getting to the part that's really, uh, the part that's really infuriating. There isn't a single part of this that is not infuriating. Right. But the way that the media is representing this as like a well it's different now because they're us has like starting to expose a whole lot of double standards including in how liberals are treating yeah this this isn't exactly racism but it feels very similar what's what comes from the same time zone yeah what's happening is you're seeing a, a lot of this thing where oh well my business has something Russian in its name, so I'm going to change the name of my business. Or uh, this place sells Russian vodka, and we're going to ban all Russian vodka now because Russia invaded Ukraine. Listen, I in my Rubens, I switched. It's documented on Twitter. There are pictures. I, I abolished Russian dressing. I switched. I didn't rename Russian dressing to Ukraine dressing. That's a fucking hack move. I threw it all out because we know Russian dressing's made in Russia. And I doubled down on good old American-made Thousand Island dressing. And Andy loves it. Yeah, it's not Russian dressing if it's not made from the dressing region in Russia. Like, <laughs> yeah, otherwise, it's just sparkling Thousand Island. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, actually, I mean, this is- <laughs> what I want to say to you, Chet, is that you are not a real American because you're calling it Thousand Island Dressing and not what Americans call it, which is fucking Mac sauce. Yeah, or sauce. special Big sauce. Mac sauce. Secret sauce, any of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Spread, if you're in and out. And what- I, I don't know why people are so comfortable with this idea that, oh, well, Putin launched an invasion of Russia. Now everything Russian is bad. And we have to demonize anything that is even sort of related to Russia. And what's troubling about it to me is when this happened before, I think the most famous example was when France didn't want to help us commit war crimes in Iraq. 
so we decided, well, fuck you. We're going to pour all of your wine out into the streets. Don't worry. We paid you for it already. Uh, we're going to start calling French fries Freedom Fries. We're going to call French Toast Freedom Toast, and that'll show them. French dressing just disappeared. Yeah, I, which I hate yeah. because French dressing is the best dressing. I love it. I love French dressing, and I miss oh, it. Oh, man. I'm going to go to the store and buy some You can now. still get it in I the Midwest. How good that you is. can still get it in the Midwest. Or at, oh, yeah. We still have it here. Or at any Outback Steakhouse. Just ask for the tangy tomato. Mwah. I think they might still have it at Bob's Big Boy in Burbank. Uh, that, that, <laughs> that stands to reason. Yeah, they had right? it at Sizzler <laughs> in Burbank also. So, yeah, that all makes sense. But... It, it, yeah, it's this thing where, well, now, yeah, everything Russian is bad. So, like, I guess fuck you, Pussy Riot. Uh, also, though, fuck Pussy Riot because they're doing NFTs now. Okay. I don't I, that, I don't know if we can just say blanket. Like, they've done some good, too. So Yeah, they have. Yeah. yeah. There's, uh, I don't want to dismiss them entirely. But that it seems like that's what we want to do in this country. And the, the thing is... When I bring up that it happened with France and Freedom Fries and things, that was mostly the right and like Fox News types who were really, really pro-war, like George Bush supporters. Yeah, but I remember like seeing Hillary Clinton on TV with her fucking Freedom Fries. Well, and being on politicians TV. always rally around a war. Yeah. Like you, you almost yeah. have to. But you were seeing it like mostly from people on the right. Like I, there was no point during that period in history where i was like yeah fuck free french toast call it freedom toast yeah but i mean if i owned a restaurant i might do it if it was going to increase the sale of fries well yeah that's the thing for a high margin a high profit margin item you just you know well yeah you stoke you stoke xenophobia yeah, in yeah. and and in war, pro war sentiment way. in order to sell more of your product. That's the whole thing. And the and I do think there's an important distinction here to make of like ways you oppose Putin versus like, and this is why I think Adam's getting at is the, the harming Russian people and being a fucking xenophobic asshole. Yeah, like we're currently fighting this war with sanctions, and I don't know if there are people out there who think sanctions are some kind of. Uh, less awful way to fight a war in in yeah. some respects they are but only if you prefer starving to death over getting yeah. bombed to death like sanctions choke out poor people yeah they do nothing to the people on top no it's it's like when airlines have to fix something to keep their planes from crashing they're going to pass those costs on to the people who buy tickets but it might cause the people to uprise yes it might if we can get the right ngo in there working with the cia to put it in their ear it might get the people to uprise if we <laughs> or can the get right the right ultranationalist death squad yeah. Yeah. And, and to finally act out on Lindsey Graham's late night drunk tweets calling for the assassination of the leader of Russia. Yeah, that's all. It's all it's all did very simple. That? No, I did not. But I don't fucking <laughs> follow Lindsey Graham's Twitter. Lindsey Graham tweeted. <laughs> this is at 630 West Coast time last night. So not even late. Is there a Brutus in Russia? Is there a more successful Colonel Stoppenberg in the Russian military? The only way this ends is for somebody in Russia to take this guy out. You would be doing your country and the world a great service. And here, yeah, maybe a fucking active U.S. senator shouldn't tweet that. Here's what bothers me about that. There's so many things that bother me about that. But do your research. It would not be better for the United States if one of the people who challenges Putin 
were to replace Putin. If you look at the last election that Putin won and you go through those candidates, we did an episode of the What in the World podcast about it. I'll fucking find it and link to it in the notes. Every candidate running against Putin hated the United States more than Putin. He was the most moderate when it came to the West. Yeah, like, I don't know if people are under this illusion that Russians love us, but Putin hates us. No, Russians fucking hate us. Like, they don't want to be nice to us. Like, people resent when Putin interacts with the United States. So this idea that, oh, you assassinate Putin, that's going to make everything better. No, it's not. You're going to get a fucking neo-Nazi like Alexei Navalny running the country. Here's the thing. If we want to go back in time like Putin and, and redraw boundaries, let's just bring, bring back Gorbachev. He's still alive. Is he? I believe so. That can't be true. No. No? No. There's no way Mikhail Gorbachev is still alive. Fucking, all right. I could have yeah, sworn. he's alive. Is he really? How old is he? 108? 91. Oh, okay. I guess. Good job, Gorbachev. If I had a dollar for every time I've said that. I mean, he was a good voice of reason in terms of like, yeah. let's get fucking nuclear arms out of everyone's hands. Glasnost and shit. So let's get back to this freedom fries thing, because now it's happening on both sides now. You're seeing well, this thing where if anything even sort of remotely Russian is connected to your name, people have to take this big moral stance and disavow it because Russia and The Russian vodka thing is especially stupid since well, the majority of the Russian vodka that's, you know, Russian branded vodka in the U.S. isn't actually coming from Russia. Well, well there's <laughs> a really specific example of that, too. There's this guy named Keith McNally. He owns a famous restaurant called Balthazar. And he's one of those, like, surly Anthony Bourdain types who is like, oh, I'm edgy because I'm secretly frustrated. I've worked restaurant jobs my whole life. And... He took this big public stand where he came out and was like, until the war is over, I'm not selling Stolichnaya vodka in my restaurants. Well, here's the thing, fuckface. If you really wanted to hit Russia in the cash register, you would buy more Stolichnaya vodka because the guy who founded that company and who owns that company fled Russia. Because Putin tried to nationalize Stolichnaya vodka. So that guy fled to Latvia and has basically been an opponent of Vladimir Putin ever since. If you go to Stolichnaya's website right now, they have a five-paragraph statement about how they have been opposed to Russian oppression and fighting Russian oppression for two decades. Their founder had to flee it, and they stand with the people of Ukraine. And this fuckface is like, oh, Russian name, not in my store. I, it just bothers me when people comment on shit like this without just doing the bare minimum amount of research. Well, and this shit has been going on for a while now, too. It's not just, it's, it's basically the entire time Trump was in office. You had liberals, and I'm not going to call them leftists because they're not. They're fucking centrist or center-right liberals who enable hard-right bullshit, who have been like McCarthyists with all this shit. They've been like any, any socialist online who's critical of Biden is a, is a Russian operative. Yeah. It's like it's, they're the new McCarthyists. It's so insane. And they st they, for some reason, they all still think that Russian is a communist country. Or that Russia is operating under socialist values, which is absurd. Yeah. I, I, these people are fucking brainwormed to shit. Yeah, Russia's corporations Look, are just dudes. 
That's the difference Listen, between glass half full, Russia glass and... half empty. Glass half empty is like shitting on all this Russia stuff. Glass half full. Uh, let's uh, start serving chicken Kiev in restaurants. You know, maybe <laughs> substitute for the the, the chicken cordon bleu instead. Yeah, chicken maybe. cordon bleu is that's a French name, right? I it's think you mean port. chicken freedom blue. Well, it's yeah. different. It's different. <laughs> I mean chicken, chicken red, Kiev white, and blue. True chicken Kiev is it's it's a very American dish. It's pounded chicken. Yeah, it's, it's all American. Violent towards animals and just fucking stuffing it with butter. What's more American than that? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. A turducken. Oh man, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna make some chicken Kiev for dinner tonight with a fucking salad with French dressing. So, okay. So yeah, if if you're looking for a horse to back in all of this. Yuri Scheffler, the owner of Stolichnaya Vodka, makes for a way better choice than, say, Alexei Navalny, who I cannot stop bringing up, is also a Nazi. I want to be fair. I find Alexei Navalny's uh, values and political outlook and worldview to be absolutely abhorrent. I've not tried his vodka yet, so I can't really, oh. you know, I can't back any horse here until I've done the Pepsi challenge, the Stoli challenge, I as had it were. Already bought in a bottle of it before I found out he was a Nazi, so I'm going to finish it. But well, yeah, you have to finish it, yeah, otherwise yeah. it's like he gets the money for free. But then I'm going to switch to Stoli because they yeah. they're on the right side of history. And here's the thing: they're on the right side of history. But because people just make these fucking decisions based on, oh, Russia, bad, Stolichnaya, Russian, it's bad. And now here we are, this guy that is uh, on your side. Is there nuance to, like, I th are there are certain things that, that seem to me to make appropriate sense Russian wives to ban um, in terms of things that are more nationally. Obviously, yeah, obviously like we got to get Tetris, get Tetris off of the Nintendo Switch. Do you Obviously. see Dominic Kasich's uh, fucking tweet storm against Alex Ovechkin? No. No. So Alex, for those who don't know, Alex Ovechkin's like the modern great NHL player. And Dominic Kasich's arguably the greatest goalie of all time. He's he's a, he's a Chechen. Is that the right way to say it? Uh, Chechen? Chechen. Chechen. There it is. So CNN had an article titled Russian NHL star player Alex Ovechkin says, please, no more war. And Dominic Hasek shared it and said, what? Not only, an, not only an ableist, a chicken shit, but also a liar. Every adult in Europe knows well that Putin is a mad killer and that Russia is waging an offensive war against the free country and its people. The NHL must, must immediately suspend contracts uh, for all Russian players. Every athlete represents not only himself and his club, but also his country and its values and actions. That is a fact. If the NHL does not do so, it has indirect co-responsibility for the dead in Ukraine. I also want to write that I'm very sorry for the Russian athletes who condemned Vladimir Putin and his Russian aggression in Ukraine. However, at the moment, I also consider their exclusion a necessity. I mean, this is the same kind of fucking thought that had, you know, Japanese Americans being put in fucking internment camps. Yep. It's insane. It's insane. And, and, and it's never right. And it, you have to understand, if you're out here partaking in this kind of thing, it's not a minor thing. Stuff like this, this thing where everyone on all sides just gets temporarily really nationalistic when it comes time for war, that's how we keep getting in these situations where we enter into these military conflicts or do things that cause military conflicts that turn into these huge quagmires. But when they do... We just have this national sense of, all right, 
time to rally up and pretend everything that's happening here is correct and good. And it's like, no, you don't. You don't have to be that way. It's what it helps perpetuate this cycle of us just kind of destroying the world. Mm -hmm. Like, we just keep like, doing it. I don't think it. Russian NHL players should have to fucking take a seat or be kicked out. Or, like, that, to me, is fucking batshit. And it, While, at well, the they, same time, I don't, I don't think we should, you know, World Cup teams, like, are totally valid in, and being like, yeah, we're not going to fucking play Russia. We're not going to go into Russia when it's an actual national team. Yeah. Well, people are calling for, like, students to be thrown out of, of schools yeah. to like have their tuition revoked. It's like, I don't, I don't know how you square that with anything. Like and the thing is, it's probably some of the people doing it too are the people that are like, well, look at these racist reporters on CNN. And it's like, yeah, they are racist, but also you're calling for like Russian nationals in America to have their fucking bank accounts frozen. Like, what are you? Yeah. That's, it's all so extreme and it, yeah. On top of helping to perpetuate what we do on the world stage, it makes it impossible for there to ever be any kind of actual anti-war movement in this country. And an anti-war movement would be good for the world in the United States because we do a lot of bad war-related shit around the globe. We need an anti-war movement. And you can't have one because of shit like this. <clears throat> well, in the United States defense, it does strike me as if Biden is doing most everything reasonably he can to try to de-escalate and stay out of war. And also, like, he's, like no one was listening to the Biden. Like, they got it right of, of predicting what was going to happen here. You know, the Ukrainian much of the Ukrainian people and government were like, yeah, no way fucking Putin's coming in. Probably part of it is they didn't want to deal with the reality of that. But, like, yeah. the Biden admin and their intelligence was right. And they have uh done a pretty good job not crossing that line and escalating you know to world war yeah and even then the the thing will get to last there's people on both sides pushing the biden administration into that yep let's talk about vacuum bombs you're going to hear a lot about this. There's there's already been a few articles that talk about how Russia might have committed a war crime by using a weapon known as a vacuum bomb in Ukraine. It is definitely a nasty weapon. It's a, a bomb that works in two stages. The first explosion distributes this huge cloud of aerosol that can go for like a mile in each direction. Not only does it permeate the sky, but it gets into structures. Like if you're in a building and there's any open window, that aerosol is going to get in the building. If you're hiding in a bunker or a cave, it's going to get in that bunker. It's going to get in that cave. And then the second explosion ignites that aerosol. So wherever you are, you can't really escape it. And it's the one case where anti-maskers might be right and that wearing a mask <laughs> isn't going to protect you from aerosol. No, not from that. Not from these aerosols. Nailed it. Nailed it, Chet. Good job. I don't know what you think you nailed. <laughs> comedy writing. Thank you, Flappers University, for my comedy writing degree. And the, the thing about this bomb, not only is it going to incinerate you if you're within that aerosol cloud once it ignites there's a chance that it won't ignite but the aerosol will just get super hot in which case you'll die from breathing it in and then even if none of that happens the resulting blast creates a pressure wave and subsequent vacuum that ruptures the lungs so it's a it's a nasty weapon and it should definitely not be allowed on the world stage here's a quote from jen Saki, white house 
press secretary. We've seen the report. I wanted to run. Uh, God damn. Sorry, too late. What? Go ahead. Go ahead. The timing is good. Go ahead, Chet. No, I, st- I need to hear it, though. Chet, Chet, you have to say it now. I was going to say, if I wanted to rupture lungs, I'd do stand-up for people. Cause I'm oh, because of the laughter? Oh. The laughter that that's, I That's awesome. in point. I, I had the, th- and then I didn't, and then it wasn't, no. That was good. I ruptured some brain cells with that one. <laughs> This is a. But you were saying Jen Psaki, my crush, who Andy hates. She's Ooh. the fucking worst. She's your crush? Yeah. Where's this Margaret only Thatcher on the list, you fucking weirdo? <laughs> Jesus. How about Condoleezza Rice? You into her too? Nah. She knows Combo, so much though. about football, though. She was on Manning Cast. Uh, she's part of the college football playoff committee. Anyway. Here's that quote from Jen Psaki, White House press secretary. We have seen the reports. If that were true, it would potentially be a war crime. And here's the thing. I'm not here to advocate for Russia using vacuum bombs. This thing should absolutely be banned from the world stage. But also, these are the kind of stories you're going to read that are meant to make what Russia and other countries do during war look really bad and dirty and unethical. Meanwhile, we wouldn't do it. Like, that's not what the United States does in war. This is a war crime. We wouldn't partake in this. Also, well, all the more reason we want to avoid war. Also, meanwhile, Ukraine has also committed uh, a list of war crimes in the last uh, week or so. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, the Azov Battalion specifically, but also like the Ukrainian National Guard has been releasing videos of them, uh, of dead Russian soldiers mm-hmm. and of them torturing Russian soldiers. And uh, yeah, that's not cool either. Yeah, I didn't. I, I cut it from the notes at the last minute because there's so much fake footage going around. Yeah, there is. There's or a, old yeah. footage that's presented as current footage. But the reason I almost included it, this was tweeted, I believe, by the Ukrainian National Guard. And it was video of Azov Battalion soldiers yeah. dipping their bullets in pig fat because they were about to fight Chechen soldiers. And there are a bunch of Muslims in Chechnya. Mm-hmm. So they wanted... When they killed these Muslim soldiers, they wanted it to be, like, extra defiling because there's what, uh, pork on the bullets. Like, that's a war I, crime, probably. I, yeah, I think when they posted that, too, it was more meant to be, like, a deterrent. Like, a—because I think along—right, the words were something like, don't come here. Yeah, yeah. Like, we're going to do this to you, so don't come here. And that's propaganda. <clears throat> that's propaganda, and I, but it's like, you know, the reverse propaganda of like, instead of trying to stir your people up to try and like calm the other people down. But like, if they're really going to do that, yeah, and I've seen it's been deleted, right? So I, think I don't so, know. Yeah. I don't know if that if it's real. There's like a lot of stuff being shared. Yeah, that's There's what, that that's... photo of the of the Azov battalion soldier holding a cat with the SS logo on their sleeve. That is real. But oh, it's yeah. like there's also footage of like bombings that were actually Israel bombing Palestinians that has been reappropriated and said is happening in Ukraine. Yeah, there was a video of a Russian like fighter jet formation. That oh, was, the ghost. Yeah, well, it was actually from some demonstration in Russia a few years yeah. ago. Like, uh, far be it for me to suggest that there is fake information circulating on TikTok, but <laughs> holy shit, yeah. regulate TikTok if you're going to regulate yeah. all the other social media platforms. Jesus, uh, they're, they're an H. American-owned company, right? 
I, no, I think they're... we tried to force them to sell to an American company, that, and it didn't that was work. The punchline. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. They're China. Okay. China. Well, that's just some more China disinformation disguised as a joke. I want someone to cancel Chet Wild's platform. Pull Chet Wild from Spotify. Cancel me. It'll only make me stronger. You're providing I'll sell more disinform- shows for the Hollywood Bowl. <laughs> That's right. You will get yeah, on no. Joe Rogan then. So in this case, yeah, vacuum bombs are bad. That's There's no debate in that. And we would know because we invented them for use in the Vietnam War. The bomb that brought Russia's use of vacuum bombs to our attention is a bomb that Russia nicknamed the father of all bombs. And if that sounds vaguely familiar, it's because a few years ago, the United States dropped, didn't just develop and threaten to use, we dropped a bomb called the mother of all bombs in Afghanistan. And think about how I just described how this bomb works. Distributes aerosol and that permeates bunkers, caves, things of that nature. So we detonated the mother of all bombs in a valley region in Afghanistan. It's the same thing. It might work slightly different, but it's... Counter, go ahead. Counterpoint, counterpoint, Adam. They are relatively less civilized and relatively less European. I didn't think about that. So there is a difference. There is, there is actually a difference. Also, one's a mommy and one's a daddy. Yeah, like we've dropped weapons like this. Like if they're using them, yeah, it might be a war crime. And if it is a war crime, it's probably because we dropped them in Afghanistan and went, oh, oh, oh holy shit, we, don't, we shouldn't do that anymore. That yeah, so wait, intense. is that a war crime? Does that mean we're guilty of a war crime? No, 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 come no. on. Come on. No, because it would be silly to conflate like, the citizenry. Like you guys are saying we're not guilty of a war crime, but but you actually mean we are. That's no. more disinformation. Yeah, yeah. This podcast has been brought to you by the U.S. State Department. <laughs> There's also talk of Russia using cluster bombs in Ukraine, which is also thought to be a very bad thing. And we'll link to this article. It's written by a guy named Michael Bartiromo for Nexstar Media Wire, which is one of those companies, I'm assuming, that just fires off articles to sites and is like, here, use this for free if you want. Just credit us. And it ends with this blurb. Uh, well, it ends talking about how people have accused Russia of using cluster bombs in Ukraine right now. And it ends with this blurb about how cluster munitions are currently banned under an international treaty, but that Russia and Ukraine are not signatories to that treaty. Doesn't that sort of imply that the United States is a signatory to that treaty? If you're coming at it from that angle, which is how could you consider using these bombs when this treaty exists? Oh, man, I bet there's a twist here. Well, the obvious twist is the U.S. isn't a signatory to that treaty either. Fucking M. Night Shyamalan shit. Like, we've been accused of using cluster bombs. We did not sign this treaty. Like, again, and I'm not saying, so why would you be mad that Russia's using them? I'm saying you should be mad that anyone's using them and that you should recognize reporting like this for what it is. It is an attempt to make our role in what's happening in Ukraine seem like kind of a white knight sort of thing. Like, that's what it's building to. Like, we're eventually going to be the heroes that go in and save Ukraine, I guess. Yeah. Mm. I also think the oh man, because it's a slippery slope because you don't want to be propaganda for Russia, but all of the hype of 
how great Ukraine is. Like, the people are standing up and they're they're knocking, you know, Russia back. It just, the more I read and learn about Putin, the more inevitable it seems like, oh no, this is going to get much, much fucking worse. And it's without direct intervention. I don't know if Ukraine can actually hold Russia out. Well, there's also the, the idea that if we, if we, if we if our involvement is limited to funding and arming you know the far right contingent along with the rest of Ukraine's military for for a resistance effort we do run the risk of basically just letting them off the leash when it's over as opposed to like a direct intervention which could be like yeah we'll help you but we're not going to give your nazis any guns and it's like again it's a it's, there's a lot going on here it's a lot of different elements and components here to consider well a a narrative you see in pretty much all the cable news channels at various points it's like oh look at these russian fucking the the russian military putin wasn't prepared look at these idiots with their tanks stuck in the mud in the ground it's like man i'm glad all this shit wasn't around during world war ii oh look at putin he thinks he's gonna put these people on trains it's like you're don't paint him as dumb like an idiot like there's real fucking awfulness that's happening and much more that's to come speaking of uh treaties the united states is not a part of or uh things that the united states didn't sign off on this one is very curious to me and i know the argument's going to be free speech that's why we didn't sign off on it here's what happened in december of 2021 Russia brought a resolution to the U.N. that called for an official rejection of the glorification of Nazism. And everyone expected that all involved parties would be like, well, of course, why wouldn't we sign off on this? And the answer of why you wouldn't sign off on this is because you want to own the commies. The United States and Ukraine refused to sign this resolution, which shocked the shit out of people and it's clearly russia like russia knew what they were doing yeah yeah i mean we can't sign off on it because then we'd have to like disavow our own space program i don't think people worry enough about operation paperclip in the direction this country took after world war ii like yeah we beat the nazis but we, well, we also sort of teamed up with them to fight a new common enemy after that. We beat them the way Mega Man beats one of Dr. Wily's robots in that we beat them and then we took all of their stuff so that we could use it. Yes, including half of the SS, which went on to form the CIA, which yeah. was half uh, Office of Strategic Services and half SS when it founded. And you know how Nazis are. They just give that shit up right away. It's not a core belief or anything that drives their entire life. So <laughs> I'm sure none of like I'm sure that lineage just died off with those brave men who defied Hitler and became CIA agents. What the fuck? Like, that has to be a little concerning in light of now on the precipice of World War Three. We're like, OK, UN, we're not just going to outright reject Nazism at this stage in the game. Like, yeah, we might need them. Yeah, that's I'm sorry. That's concerning. And I know you can say, well, yeah, but freedom of speech. That's that it that doesn't people work. always ask where the line is, and to me, this is the line, yeah, like that that's where the line is actual Nazis. If you can't even say it, then um i I'm sorry, I don't trust you, and 
what it does is it sets Putin up to rightfully or not say, oh, well, the reason you don't want to sign off on it is because the government you're teaming up with to fight me is like half Nazi. And so, of course, you can't disavow Nazism if you're teaming with them. And, you know, Putin's ex-KGB, you know, so he's speaking of people who have core values like conditioned into a very the very nature of their being. Putin's whole distrust of the West is this as well. And we're talking like, you know, when the United States has missiles pointing at the Soviet Union from Turkey, like his whole argument here is if you have Ukraine, that you're going to have military installations in Ukraine against me. And that's just, again, that's a paranoia that he was raised on. It's not going to go away. I'm not trying to defend him. He's still a fucking narcissistic, megalomaniacal monster. Well, adding to that paranoia is this idea in the West that, you know, the U.S. and all these other countries haven't declared war or joined this war, you know, from, from the West's point of view, whereas... Putin's point of view may very well be, and and some Russians' point of view may very well be, oh, no, they're already, they've already joined the war. They've already declared war against us. There's two different realities there right now. Yeah. Yeah. And with Putin and having NATO countries on his border, I, I know, like, people argue this isn't about NATO, but how is it not? Like, that is... Our main competitor on the world stage is Russia. And since the fall of the Soviet Union, we've been adding former Soviet countries to NATO. And now there's like five NATO countries on Russia's border, I think. I think Ukraine would make the sixth. And what's the closest this country ever came to just dying in a reign of nuclear hellfire? The Cuban Missile Crisis. And why did that happen? Because we found out Russia was maybe putting missiles close to us in Cuba and we were like we will kill you all if and you don't they move only, those fucking they only did that because we were pointing missiles at them from Turkey is the <laughs> other thing that nobody ever fucking mentions and also in hindsight those missiles would have only reached Florida so really who gives a fuck <laughs> Yeah, hey, if the Cuban Missile Crisis had resulted in a few missiles being fired off, maybe Bush wouldn't have won in 2000. Yeah. 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 There's your twist. Accurate. Would you go back in time and unnuke Florida? And you're like, God. "Yes, I'm going to go do that right now." And then you're like, "Fuck! Now but now we're going to nuke the whole entire Middle East." This was a monkey's paw situation. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. One of those candidates dedicated his later life to global warming awareness and fighting it. The other one dedicated his later life to painting. You talking about George W. Bush and Al Gore? Oh no, George W. Bush dedicated his post-presidency life to resettling American Jews in Israel because his team's version of the apocalypse requires 50% of the world's Jewish population to live in Israel. And at that point, Armageddon can happen because George Bush is a dispensationalist and dispensationalists believe that if you are living in the end times, which they obviously believe we are, it is your responsibility to bring on those end times as described in the Bible. So that and painting, yes. And forming an unlikely bond with Michelle Obama, which... Whatever. It's fine. So the last thing as we record this is that now some people are calling for the U.S. and or NATO to impose a no fly zone over Ukraine. Chet, I feel like you have you have thoughts on this. Oh, I wasn't informed. So I was asking you questions like, yeah, over text like, hey, what do you think of this? Because I didn't know fucking what to think. Um, But I think I have a better stance now, which is like, hey, 
even if there inevitably is a world war to come from this, uh, we should still do everything in our power to delay and prevent that and hope for de-escalation. Yeah, and a no-fly zone would start that war. Well, what one of the U.S. one of the issues the U.S. is getting into is like they say, "Oh, Russia, don't you dare fucking do that!" And then Russia does it, and they're like, "Okay, we said if you did that, we'd fuck you up, but uh, we'll just give you sanctions." Like it's also sending a message to China and anyone else watching of like, "Ah, eh, our our bark is much louder than our bite." <laughs> um, but you, you don't want to get involved. If you if you say there's a no-fly zone, you then have to enforce it. And if yeah. you don't enforce it, your word means nothing. Yeah, it's a line we can't go back from once we cross it. Once we say there's a no-fly zone, the second Russia puts a plane in the sky over Ukraine, we have to shoot it down. Now, it tugs at your fucking heartstrings. Because, you know, if there's a no-fly zone and Russia can't control the sky, like, Ukraine has a much better fighting chance at protecting themselves. Yeah, and keep in mind, if you're calling for a no-fly zone, if that turns into a direct war, that is a direct conflict between the two largest nuclear arsenals in the world. Someone's going to be itching to try that somewhere. Another thing we covered on a podcast before, Russia does these uh, war games, and... Now I can't remember what they call them, but the the word they use for it just means West. But it's also the word they use to describe their war games. And they ran one maybe 10 years ago, maybe even less than that, that ended with them nuking Ukraine. This is a little more dire of a situation than I think people want to take into account. This isn't a fucking social media war. We're not going to win it with you changing your profile pictures and drinking different vodka. Like, but we're not going to not win it either. Right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I Look, I don't have a take on that. Yeah, I, I have no idea. And, uh, yeah, a no-fly zone, that like that starts World War III. Like, that yeah. is what starts it. Because then NATO is involved. Yeah. And, all like, all it's going to take for us to have to get involved because of NATO, uh, there's a thing called Article 5. That is part of the NATO treaty, and it says if you're a NATO country and one of your NATO allies is in a fight, you all have to respond and help in that fight. And all it would take is, like, if we decide to send aid to Ukraine, which we already are, and Russia decides to block it, if in the efforts to block that aid we're sending to Ukraine, they accidentally drop a missile or a shell in, like, Poland or something, that that's enough. They attacked a NATO country, and now we have to go defend that NATO country and fight Russia. If only Trump was successful in removing the U.S. from NATO, we wouldn't have this problem, would we? I mean, yeah. That's Jesus like, that's, fucking Christ, that's a bleak way to put it. It really is. <laughs> but, but in that world, Trump removes us from NATO, and if Trump's then in office again, we're supporting Russia right now. Yeah. 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 Like NATO needs to exist. Like Russia is the United States of Russia. Like they if you were living in their shadow, you would want some degree of protection from them if you could get it. NATO needs to exist. And its entire mission is to prevent another world war from ever happening. So in a way for world war to even happen, NATO, NATO has failed its mission. I'm not putting that blame on them. It's right. Am I right in that? Its ultimate mission is to prevent another world war atrocity from ever happening. Yeah. So don't worry. You might get your war anyway, libs. (laughs) 
whoever <laughs> whoever else wants a no-fly zone in Ukraine. Yeah, that's that's the uh, establishing a no-fly zone. There would be like the the I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. That results in a double homicide. The only yeah. no-fly zone I want is me and my onesie, which doesn't have a fly on it. That's weird. Why wouldn't it? Got it. You have to, like, strip naked every time you piss? Because it's a lady onesie. I call my apartment a no-fly zone because I do not allow you to play the Sugar Ray song Fly in here. Oh, I don't let people wear pants, so I call it a no-fly uh, zone because sometimes pants have zippers and fly. That's why Adam's always filming from the neck up. Yeah, check up from the neck up. So, yeah, uh, hashtag no no-fly zone. That's uh, that's my conclusion here. And if if you want to be that that person who's like, OK, well, then what's the answer? I don't fucking know. I'm a podcast host, baby. I don't, well, the answer yeah. is, unfortunately, we're going to have to bear witness to some atrocities that are going to have a lot more cameras on them. Uh, whereas historically, you know, a lot of other atrocities have happened, even in the last couple of years that we that's- just don't give a shit about because they're in other countries um well forget and- for, no, but forget the last couple of years there are conflicts and atrocities going on right, right now. now that we don't give a shit about nobody's talking about what's happening in fucking yemen no because why because they're not blonde haired blue-eyed because they're not relatively european yeah there's there are conflicts happening in africa right now that are just devastating like sudan and south sudan there was a huge civil war there and these are conflicts that have killed hundreds of thousands of people. Also, look at what's happening in Antarctica. No one gives a shit. Yeah, there's Nazi the bases there. melting there. and far more people are going to die from global warming, is what I'm saying, <laughs> than any of these wars. I, like, I, thought you were, a, I thought we were going uh, Nazi bases. I thought you okay. were talking about the thing. <laughs> oh, the Nazi penguins, too? The, well, the Nazi penguins, but also the, you know, Nazi billion plus people that are going to be displaced in the next 30 Nazi years. Penguins? Of, uh, Nazi penguins? I said Nazi bases. Oh, Nazi Nazi penguins. What are these? What are are these little boys up to? Haven't you watched the show Atypical? It's all about Nazi penguins. Of course, I haven't watched Atypical. I probably watched Atypical. I don't know what that is. I have problems of my own. I don't need to watch someone else's on a Netflix show. Show on Netflix. So yeah, we're there is no good answer as to what to do here. There's no answer as to who is completely right and who is completely wrong. This is war, and it fucking sucks. I am sucks. very, for as much as, you know, there's many reasons to be critical of Joe Biden. I'm not saying don't be critical of Joe Biden. I am also immensely thankful that anyone not Trump is in the, the office right now of just God. how fucking erratic that I, guy is. I, I, I don't, I don't even think I can meet you there, yeah, honestly. I'm, I'm, I hate how hard I have to disagree with you, but yeah. I've said a million times, I think Trump was too anti-war for the Republican establishment. I think that's why John Bolton quit. I think John Bolton wanted war in Iran and didn't get it. I don't think Trump would, like, if nothing else, he wouldn't be escalating it any more than Biden is. But there's a chance he would maybe escalate it. But Well, he'd be erratic as fuck. And be very pro-Putin and causing all these other sets of problems and just emotionally hijacking the nation. Yeah, so pick your poison. Like, uh, Yeah, I'm saying the poison I'm picking is Biden. Yeah, and it's still that, poison, though. That's the thing. It's still fucking poison. Like, yeah. it's... Do I want to eat fast food or do I want to have alpha brain in my morning shake? Uh, no, that's not the difference here. The yeah, difference that's... is the difference here is is dying because uh, of 
whatever Nazi bullshit the other asshole would do or the quieter Nazi bullshit that this guy's doing. Like there's Nazi white. They're Diet both right wing fuckheads. Yeah. Yeah. So sorry. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. How dare I you to end Andy. the podcast on a note of really getting under Andy's skin and man, <sighs> look, am I good at that? Look, Chet, I am also sorry that the Buffalo Bills did not go to the Super Bowl. Oh, they're already favorites to win next year. Yeah. Mm. Uh, are they still favored to still be the Bills? Because if so, I can't. Oh, watch out. Yeah, maybe you'll get... See, full circle. We started uh, the pod talking about how awful the Bears are and our ending <laughs> talking about how great the Bills are. Yeah, we did it. I mean, I just I just love Micah Hyde, you know, and AJ Epinesa. Micah Hyde's just fun to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sure is. So, I, I think that's our episode. If you were, if, Is it? Are you sure? Yeah, if you were looking for... Well, this comes out Monday, so how much of it is going to be obsolete by then? Yeah, who knows? And if you were looking for answers, we don't have them. Like, we're not... Yeah. We're not I, war hawks. We don't know I'm how not... war is supposed to go. It's just, we are where we are. Like, I know people aren't... There are. There's an element out there that's not going to want to admit it, but both sides have just kind of been walking toward this for years and years and years now. It's been I'll, inevitable. I'll tell you, I'm not informed enough to, to, to give a solution or even an idea approaching a possible remedy here. I am informed enough to tell you that neither can anyone else. Like, that, not, yeah. that, that somebody with a, who's changed their profile pic to Ukrainian flag and is communicating about this situation entirely in hashtags... They don't have the fucking answer either. That's what yeah. I'm informed enough to say. And I will say, too, I'll that see- I, this anti-Russian shit that, that libs have been doing for the last couple of years, like, uh, knock it off. Just knock it off. You're not, you're, not, you're not winning anything here. Two words, four syllables, chicken Kiev. What, what is chicken? <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying it'll make your life. Fun. You've never had chicken. It, look, it is delicious. It's very good, isn't it? It's, it's very the, good. It's like the the fucking the thing that they're known for. What Ukraine? Yeah. No, they're known for having neo Nazis in their military. <laughs> but also chicken Kiev. Oh, okay. If you like chicken cordon bleu, you like chicken Kiev. Chicken Kiev was a Nazi invention. Do you not know I that? Chicken Kiev's the name of the. <laughs> it came out of the same <laughs> kitchen as Fanta. Oh, yeah. I, I always forget that Ukraine. Fanta was invented by Nazis. And now it's primarily a product of South America. It traveled there with the Nazis after World War II. Coincidence. All right. I think that's our episode. We did it. That was a long pod. That sure was a long pod. Four and a half hours before editing. Yeah. We'll see what you tripped yeah. us down to. Yeah. I, I didn't expect it to go this long. I could have watched The Batman. I already did. It's fine. Uh... All right. Do we have anything? Thank you both for doing the the pod, uh, Chet. Thanks do you for have, th- what? Ch- Ch- I was just saying thanks for having me. I just it's always a treat. Don't be rude, Andy. Jeez. Okay, you're right. I'm it's sorry. Dinner time in Andy's time zone. Is it? How old no. do you think Andy is? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to go to Fur's cafeteria and then eat dinner <laughs> and then sleep for the next 16 there. hours. He's going to go eat a hamburger with onions only and a cup of black coffee and then get to bed by 4.30. <laughs> what you can't see is that I'm actually recording this podcast with an afghan on my lap. I just bought an outdoor canopy chair so I can sit and work outdoors and it just arrived and oh man, it's that the life. That sounds great. It's the life. It's still there's still snow on the ground here, so it's going to be a while before I can work outdoors. Oh, that makes sense. 
Chet, do you have anything to plug before we get out of yeah, here? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Andy underscore cell. <laughs> nice. Andy, do you have anything to plug? That's so fun. You can also follow me on Twitter at Andy underscore cell. <laughs> I'm not yeah. plugging Chet's Twitter here. I I run that Twitter on weekends, though. Yeah, he, he does. I give it over to him because I've got more important things to do on the weekends, like edit and release new episodes of Ghoul School and Look Good for the Boys. You should listen to both oh, those podcasts yeah. is what I'm saying. Uh, and, uh, you know, patreon.com slash unpops, unpopsnetwork.supercast.tech. You can go there and get bonus episodes of this show and all of our other shows. There's like four bonus episodes uh, of just Unpops every month. I mean, they're different shows. We don't do four other uh, Unpops shows. But me and Chet do a show called 69 Minutes. (laughs) (laughs) That is a a live chat show that we were going to do last week. But then the the State of the Union happened. Yeah. And we had to watch. We decided to live text Yeah, we didn't even talk about. The State of the Union and Joe Biden shouting, go get him at the end of the State of the at Union. The end, yeah. Or when Nancy Pelosi started rubbing her hands together when they were talking about like a kid not being able to find health care or something. Or when uh, it's like, uh, I think it was Chuck Schumer stood up at the wrong time. But the, the Nancy Pelosi thing, I think he was talking about veteran health care and she was waiting for him to announce some initiative to make better access to veteran health care, I think. And instead, Remember, he like, just went to him like, what are they booing? No, she was, was just like, end up. Well, he, he ended up going on this like two minute rant about how shitty access to health care is. And she's just rubbing her hands together like she's loving it the whole time. She's just getting aroused <laughs> by the idea of people dying of preventable illness. Oh, man. It was great. It was a great State of the Union. It was so, so refreshing seeing a Democratic president uh, <laughs> lean so hard to the right on so many issues and get applause all around for it. Uh, I'm just glad the grownups are back in charge. Yeah, finally. Someone who's not going to embarrass us on the world stage by saying Putin invaded Russia and instead of and was faced with a proud Ukrainian people, he said Putin invaded Russia and was faced with a pound of Ukrainian people. <laughs> and then, I mean, the guy has had a lifelong speech impediment. Major props to Joe Biden for overcoming that and not giving a fuck. Also, major props to Joe Biden for not uh, passing the Equality Act or standing in any significant way with LGBTQ youth who are being under well, attack. Well, now you're being Republican. sarcastic. <laughs> yeah, he got his speech impediment in that fight with Corn Pop at the pool. <laughs> he got his speech impediment because he segregated too hard. <laughs> Corn pop, hit me with a chain, man. That's my Joe Biden. That's all you have to do to do a Joe Biden is say, man, at the end of everything. And then wear aviators if it's a visual. Okay. We do got to get out of here, I guess. Uh, I don't want to. I know. I just, I'm having so such fun. a great time with you, dinner. too. This is so much fun. Yeah, Andy's got to get to the local diner. Drink his. <laughs> Go have one of your Lucy burgers. <laughs> oh, God, I love Juicy oh, Lucy's Juicy so Lucy. much. Juicy Lucy. Yeah, those are tasty. All right, let's get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Yes, please. Chat, just say goodbye. Otherwise, I'm just going to edit it in. Goodbye. Thank you for saying it for once instead of me having to edit it in for a change. Andy, say goodbye. (laughs) Bye. Goodbye, everybody. We love you. Bye.